All right, welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast, which is now part of Fantasy Basketball International. This is episode 27, where Karin Tolbor is going to join me to discuss the Central Division and the fantasy outlook behind that. Just as a quick reminder before I bring in Corinne, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit my page, signupexpert.com slash TML, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with the review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and when you register through my link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sports book at signupexpert.com slash TML. Like I said, this is episode 27. Uh, Corinne Tolwar is going to join me to discuss the central division. Uh, just a little bit about him. He started writing uh, recently on his own page, but really for Fantasy Basketball International has been working with us. I guess I could say us now. Uh, recently, um, I don't know exactly what time he started, so I'm not going to put a time period behind that, but I know he's been doing really good work. And he also has so many, so many fantasy championships, way more than I've won in my lifetime. Um, LOFB, FBI, I'm sure ones that I don't even know about other acronyms, but I'm going to go ahead and bring him in and just welcome the legend himself, sir. How are you doing uh, I guess it is, if I'm not mistaken, the weekend for you, early morning. It is indeed. It's Saturday morning. Excited to be excited to be here. I think this is my yeah, this is my first time on um, on an FBI podcast. So excited to be making my debut. Yeah, and this is your, if I'm not mistaken, second podcast, fantasy basketball podcast, because you did the mock draft with the guys from Insight Sports. Um, but yeah, I guess this is the first non-mock draft we'll, we'll just call it that the first one it's not a mock draft where we're just going through and just kind of talking hoops talking about the central division um which we'll just go ahead and dive right in um to that because of the big news that happened earlier this week um damian lillard got traded to the bucks in case you haven't heard i'm sure if you're listening to a fantasy basketball podcast specifically this one then you probably are at least able to keep up to date on news enough to know that dame is now a buck and really, I mean, it was a massive trade. I don't have, I guess I should have pulled up the trade details in front of me, but Drew Holiday is a Portland Trailblazer for the time being. DeAndre Ayton's a Blazer. The Suns got Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, but really, Dame is in Milwaukee, and that's the only Central Division team in that trade. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Maybe a little bit about what they lost uh, by giving up Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen. Um, maybe there was somebody else in there that they had to give up that I just don't remember off the top of my head. But we'll start with the Bucks uh, because, I mean, everybody else in the Central Division is kind of fun to talk about. But this is the big news. This this is this is where everybody's kind of talking about fantasy basketball right now because of how big of an impact that this is probably going to have when you have two guys that were being drafted later in the first round. Um, I actually have somewhere. Um, there it is. The FBI 
ADP data. I can finally use that instead of referencing Yahoo once. Um, so yeah, before this, before the trade, Giannis's ADP uh, was 9.09, .09, which actually had him being drafted eighth just because of how those numbers work. And then Dame was 11.33, uh, which actually had him technically 12th, by the way the numbers work, through, I believe that says 75 uh, draft-only leagues. Um, current, when we look at that and you have two guys that were being drafted in the first round that are now on the same team, do you still consider both of them to be first round guys? Like guys you'd still like, how much does that affect uh, where you're drafting them? The fact they're playing on the same team and sharing the ball. Yeah, it's quite interesting, right? I think first of all, from a purely basketball standpoint, I don't think there is a better fit player for Giannis than Dame. Um, and we'll, I'm a big Drew Holiday fan as many of us are, right? I think he contributes to winning basketball, but when you can replace him with with Dame's gravity, Dame's shot making, especially in the playoffs where we know that Drew, while his defense has been stellar, like he's had some challenges sometimes offensively in the playoffs. So I feel like from a fit standpoint, it, it fits like a glove, right? And I, they do, in my mind, it's a little early, we need to see the preseason, but they do become the championship favorites. I, I think Vegas has them as favorites as well. So it's no surprise there. In terms of fantasy, um, I know we're not talking about the Pacific Division because I think you did that with B-Dub as well. But I think the biggest winner has to be DeAndre Ayton in this, in this entire thing. I'm not going to spend so much time on it. But in terms of just a person who's going to rise up draft boards as a result of this trade, it's him. I think for Giannis and Dame, they probably stay where, where they are, in my opinion. You know, between that, if you're really looking at from an 8 to 12 standpoint, 8 to 13 standpoint, maybe, if, you, if you're not that bullish on, on one of them. Um, I think obviously Giannis and Dame both will take hits in scoring. Uh, you would you would anticipate that little get it gets split up there. Uh, what I'm most interested to see or, or hopeful to find out is if Giannis's defensive stats come back. Just given that now we have Dame in that team to carry some of that offensive load, um, does he focus a little bit more on on defense? Does he does he go for those steals? Does he does that weak side? Uh, the blocks that he does and the free safety role that he played in the championship year. That is what I'm most excited to see because if his defensive stats come back, then then we're talking, you know, that Giannis would potentially beat that number. Um, that That's where I'm at with it. I don't know if it puts puts them down in my draft board, but depending on how preseason goes, I'm pretty high on Lamelo. Like there is a chance I may take Lamelo before these two. Uh, Steph for sure. Um, but Lamelo as well, maybe potentially over these two, and they're they're right in that range. I think seven to twelve is a very tight range of players who could, you can make an argument for any of them going at seven or eight. So that's that's yeah. where I stand on it. What, what, what do you think about about the impact on Giannis's this this year with D stats in particular? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, now that I'm uh, looking at the screen, I realize I have slides for this, and I forgot to pull them up. So if anybody's watching, they can follow along on the screen. So. I have that up. Uh, but as far as Giannis's defensive stats, that's a really good point to bring that up um, because he averaged 0.8 blocks per game last year after averaging 1.1 steals, 1.4 blocks the year before, and averaging at least one of each of them uh, as Basketball Monsters kind of loading for me, uh, basically every season since his, the second year of his career. So, you know, I guess a lot of people blame the free throw percentage for his drop in rank. But, or excuse me, I guess like Z score, nine cat scoring, uh, if you follow that very, very closely, which I feel like it's a good thing to reference. But um, 
the free throw percentage was obviously a big reason for that drop, but also it was a drop in the uh, defensive stats because I think before he was, you know, a good source of defensive stats, then averaging less than one of each, it's not as ideal um, for a guy like him, especially with the free throw percentage of the turnovers. But I'm still taking him in the first round. Um, I think I was going to take him in the first round, probably potentially as high as seven uh before the trade and right now i don't think that changes too much for me because yes dame is going to get his shots maybe Giannis loses out on a shot or two per game but i think you bring up the defensive stats i think that's going to be something that he's able to kind of bring back because last year you know drew holiday was there but chris middleton was hardly there like when he was there he was also dealing with his knee issues and wasn't able to play I don't know, as many minutes or just wasn't the same player. So Giannis was having to do more offensively, I feel like. But now that Dame is there, I think it's going to be more balanced. I mean, you have two all-NBA guys there. I'm still taking Giannis probably about the same spot. And I I think I think that the free throw percentage should be better enough. Um, but I'm not too concerned about that or the turnovers. But I think, like you said, the defensive set's going to come up. And then Dame, for me, I was – probably going to take Dame as a first round guy, but I didn't feel good about it until I actually, uh, that's why I'm glad I actually have been doing podcasts with different analysts to kind of get their perspective on things. Cause I feel like everybody has different opinions or things that they look at that matter to them. And when I was doing them with uh, the Pacific division with B-Dub, we talked about Dame a good bit because of a potential trade. Um, Cause we were talking about the sons of Deandre Ayton and, uh, in my mind, because Dame has missed a lot of games the last two years, he's not as durable as he probably actually is. Cause you know, even the report came out, I think it was earlier today or maybe yesterday saying that um, Portland kind of made him sit out the last 10 games when he wanted to play just to help their lottery pick so that they could trade that lottery pick and bring him help. But then obviously things didn't turn out that way, but I think, Dame's games played won't be as much of an issue now that he's on a real contender. Um, so they're both very solid first round guys for me. Honestly, I think, and this may be me looking into games played too much, but I think I might even take them as high as like both of them, like seven or eight. I think I really like LaMelo this year, but guys like Steph, KD and AD that are also going in the first round, they miss a lot of games and I'm trying to be, I don't know, not playing into that way, way too much, but also just like being mindful of it. And maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's not, I guess we'll kind of see. Um, but I feel good about taking both of them as first round guys. For sure. Right. Um, and in a points league, Giannis still has to go. I mean, for our, our points league listeners as well, right. Points league, he has to mm-hmm. still go in the, I would say in the top three or four, you, you can't go later than that for him. Um, and in, in terms of, yeah, that that's for me as well, both of them are going to be in the first round. And if you do take them, like one of them, in the first round and the games played is a consideration in your mind, that's how then, then you can balance that up in your second and third rounds by taking quote unquote, safer players who don't have that kind of history, maybe younger players who, like, who are looking to, you know, play more or whatever the case may be. So that's how our draft goes, right? For example, if you take a Lamelo in round one, then you potentially have a chance of taking someone else like a Kawhi in round two because you're like, okay, I have that safety of a Lamello, like mm-hmm. even though he's coming off injury as well. But yeah. not 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 much of 
uh, I, I think not, not much of long-term concern with him as it is with Giannis's knees and 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 Dame's potential uh, advanced age as well coming up now. So um, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. Both of these guys, like if if uh, if someone's drafting them, um, and there I think their schedule is really good as well. If if some if anyone cares about that in terms of playing on low volume days, etc., because it's Milwaukee, so. Um, that that is that is a consideration as well. If you're sort of having a tiebreaker in terms of who you want to pick between a Lamelo and a, and a, and a potential Dame or Giannis, yeah. And the two other guaranteed starters, in my opinion, are Chris Middleton and Brook Lopez. Uh, I mentioned Middleton earlier because he just had knee issues last year, wasn't able to play probably as much as we would have liked to see out of him. Played in 33 games, only 24.3 minutes per game. Um, just wasn't nearly as good as he has been the past few years, which is, you know, when you're dealing with knee issues, like that's not necessarily unexpected or really surprising. But um, it did kind of result in maybe a bit of a wasted season for him. Uh, but he should be back fully healthy this year. Um, I haven't read any reports saying otherwise, so I'm, that's kind of me just assuming, considering he was able to play in the playoffs. And then Brooke Lopez, who had a fantastic year um, as one of the best shot blockers in the league, hitting threes as well, um, had a ridiculously high finish. Um, he finished 22nd in nine cat leagues. Now, this isn't a guy you're taking in the second round, but he's a guy that was really, really good last year, despite being kind of an aging center. How does, you know, kind of the way that this roster is, you know, shifted. I mean, now it's Drew Holiday's gone, adding in Damian Lillard. And I mean, it's not too many other major, you're losing Grayson Allen. Okay. Like not too many other major, major changes there. Uh, but how are those two guys kind of impacted by this deal? Yeah. In my opinion, I think like if you look at Middleton, right, his ADP on, uh, on fan tracks at the moment is 70 and on Yahoo it's 84. So at those spots, I would still be okay with it because you're baking in at that at that price. You're the risk. You're baking. You're baking that in, right? You're taking him at a, at a later round. I think in terms of uh, potentially impact on fantasy, his scoring potentially has to come down a little bit because obviously Dame's going to take a little bit more of that usage than a lot more of that usage than Drew did. Uh, what would be interesting to me, especially for Middleton, is his playmaking, right? Like. On the surface, you can make an argument that Dame's there and Dame's a higher assist player or a higher uh, primary ball handler player than Drew Holiday. So, therefore, Middleton's assist can go down. But inversely, you could also think that they don't have many guards coming off the bench, right? If you look at it, um, yeah. they've lost they've lost Javon. Who is the, the backup point guard on that team, right? I mean, if you look at the depth chart on uh, basketball reference, like, is it is it the rookie... Andre Andre Jackson, is it is it Pat Connaughton? Is it Marjon Bochamp? So I feel like that's 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 a question. Like, what do you think? Like, do you think as a result of Dame, Dame coming, Middleton's assists go up or go down? Yeah, that's a good point. I because uh, I was ESPN's because that's just what I've always used uh, just for a lot of like box scores things like that. I was pulling up their depth chart really quickly, and they still haven't updated for the Dame trade, which is lovely. But. Um, I think it's interesting. I imagine looking at their roster that they would add somebody like they have to add another point guard because right now it's not anybody like, really. but like there is guys available. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think campaign is signed anywhere. So maybe that's an option. Um, Great. Fit. But that I think that would be just a solid backup for Dane, but 
I think Dame is also a guy that he's incredible with the ball in his hands, but you can also work him off ball a good bit. I think that, you know, he's not a Steph or a Clay Thompson, but nobody is, but you can have him come off some screens, you know, allow Middleton to operate with the ball in his hands, allow Giannis to operate with the ball in his hands and have Dame be a gravitational shooter. I think that's, you know, some, some that'll work out. I'm not sure if Middleton's assists are impacted. I don't think that they're going to like take a dramatic step up, but I don't think it's, Maybe either half assist more or half assist less because yeah. he's averaged uh, last year, like I said, 4.9, kind of a nah, – that wasn't that far off from the past few seasons where it was 5.4 the two years before everything else. Everything else kind of took a hit except for the uh, assists. But I imagine 5.4 is – because Dane isn't – like he's a good playmaker. He's a good passer, but I'm not saying he, – he's not going to come in and all of a sudden average eight or nine assists. Like it's just not his game. So yeah. I, I think that Middleton is going to be fine, averaging five-ish assists per game. I could definitely see that happening again. Yeah, and th- that's what I'm sort of le- leaning towards at the moment as well, unless they sign someone, like as you said, like campaign. For Brook Lopez, I think it's it's we can talk about overall macro Brook Lopez's blocks. Are they going to come back or not? But that's got nothing to do with Dame. I think in terms of from a fantasy perspective, maybe like you said, like maybe he reduces a field goal attempt or something, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at Brook being so directly impacted by by Dame coming in. Um, yeah, that's that, that's. I would still pick him like not as early as the top twenty or thirty for sure. But where is he going at the moment? He is going in on fan, fan tracks. He is. Let's have a look. I have his FBI ADP right here, where he's yeah. going sixty fourth, and Middleton is going sixty eighth. Yeah. From yeah, I think Middleton. I'm alright with at that level. Broke. I just because there's so many guys who can average like one and a half to two blocks this year. Um, I don't know if I'm I'm gonna look at him in the 60s, but potentially in the 70s and 80s, I'd be I'd be happy to have a crack at it. Um, but yeah, that that's how I'll, I I kind of look at it. I would prefer a Mark Williams at that 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 rate or at that uh, that stage in the draft if I can get him. Yeah, so I think this is gonna change pretty quickly after that trade, but um, the data from i guess this is from two days ago that b-dub has it so maybe if they, i don't know if they've done more drafts to where this would be updated but yeah uh brooke lopez was 64 deandre ayton was 65 so i imagine ayton's gonna shoot up gobert was Definitely. 66 um yaka Pertle was 75 mark williams 78 so i guess those are kind of the centers going after jared allen is 60 so he's before so i think it's hard for me, and this is just my tendency to, to draft younger guys. I think I'm hesitant to draft older guys at times, especially with a guy like Brooke Lopez, where it's he was awesome last year, but you know, if the blocks are gone, like I don't like that obviously changes him a lot. But I don't think, like you kind of said, Lopez is gonna be directly impacted by Dame's arrival too much. He may lose out on some attempts, but he's also probably gonna get better looks, even having a scorer like Dame there, he might get a, a few more open shots. I think Middleton ends up being a little bit more impacted just because, I mean, you could argue he was the number one scoring option at times for Milwaukee, especially during their championship run, just because, you know, as dominant as Giannis is, he tends to be limited uh, by his poor shooting. Um, but I think Middleton's really good with the ball in his hands. You'd, you'd say he was bit like he has been their closer uh, for the past few seasons, but obviously you bring in Damian Miller, that kind of co- goes to him now. So I think Middleton will still be really good. Um, I think 68 is probably high for me, especially 
with some of the guys going a bit after. Um, but I think he's impacted more than Brooke Lopez is. Um, but if we want to move on to our last Bucks question, which is who will the fifth starter be? I think when I did my initial tweet, um, it was the guys that I looked at were Pat Connaughton or uh, I believe Malik Beasley is there. And then I, I've seen uh, Marjan Bochamp thrown out there as well as a possibility. Um, who do you think ends up getting the starting nod and it, whoever it ends up being, do you think that they're worth drafting in the last round? Yeah, I think you're up. You, you hit the money um, on the head with that, right? So I think like in terms of Beasley and Connaughton are the two, two candidates for it. If Beasley, obviously we know that he likes to shoot threes, right? And he's, he's pretty good at making them as well. I think in short making talent, basketball index has him like top six or seven in terms of, for 75 possessions, he's top 10 in three-point attempts and three-point made. So he is going to bomb away threes if, he, if he's in that lineup, right? And in a, in a draft, in a standard league setting, if we all know threes are available on the wire, threes are available late. So in a last round, if you want like a guy who could potentially come in and give you two and a, like three threes, it won't surprise anyone, you can get him in the last round, right? Um, Connaughton, obviously, he's more of that connector build, like, you know, not like exactly like a Bruce Brown, but in that same mold of a player who cuts well, who's also decent at catch and shoot. And they could, they could, he's obviously been with Milwaukee much longer, so they could potentially give him that spot as well. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want him in a last round just because I, I don't see that he's going to have that much of standard league value in that lineup as the fifth option. Um, but Beasley just for threes. I think an outside shot, and this guy's not going to be relevant for fantasy, but just an outside shot. Jay Crowder is still on this roster, right? Wow. They they did they did send like a truckload of second round picks if I can't if I, if I remember it correctly for him. He's mm. still here, and he makes a lot of sense in this lineup, right? You get a wing defender to come in between of Giannis and let him play that free safety role. You let like Crowder to come in and cover off for Dame's defensive struggles as well. Um, maybe it's him. And then, then it's like a three-way mix between these three guys and nobody's relevant for fantasy. That's, that's a possibility. So I would be avoiding, like, just looking at Beasley potentially if he wins the role in preseason for the last round pick. Yeah, I like that. I didn't even consider Jay Crowder because, honestly, I forgot he was on the roster, so I'm glad you said that. Um, but, yeah, I think Beasley's a late-round guy just because of how many threes he can hit. Connaughton, like you said, not quite as appealing, though. If I'm not mistaken, he was. Maybe I'm making this up. Maybe this is all in my head. Was he decent like two years ago? So, yeah. So, 2021 22 season, he finished 130 in nine cap, mostly because he was pretty efficient, didn't really turn the ball over, and hit 2.23. So, not great. That was in 26 minutes per game. So, not a ton of fantasy upside unless you're looking for threes. But I think in standard leagues, um, Malik Beasley, like you said, is a target. Hopefully he gets the starting nod, though it wouldn't be shocking for Pat Connaughton too, considering he used to be a starter for them. Mm. Um, Jay Crowder, that's an outside one. I like that. I didn't even consider that. Um, but we'll move on to Detroit, uh, who is coming off a – oh, I had it pulled up. 17-65 and 65 season, uh, which was the worst record in the NBA. Mostly, I mean – having they, they were tanking by the end of the season probably a lot earlier than some other teams uh just by pulling the plug on Boyan Bogdanovich oh gosh when did they even pull the plug on him like February or something like that maybe it was March um but obviously Kate Cunningham going down really early kind of 
made them realize pretty quickly like, hey, yeah, you, any sort of progression we were going to see, we're probably just going to have to wait till next year, which is fine. Um, that allowed them to add Sar Thompson in the draft, who we'll get to. Um, but you know, team built around Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivy, I think are the two guys in my mind that are guaranteed starters, no doubt about it. Those guys are starting at the one and the two. Then you have three other spots where you need to kind of fill out starters. And I haven't, maybe there has already been something said, but I don't think I've seen anything. And media day next week will probably give us a better idea um, of who's going to start. So you have uh, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Durrett, Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, Bojan Bogdanovich, and I think Asar Thompson are six guys that could start. Now I'll actually, we'll go ahead and start with you. Who do you think is starting uh, in this front court for Detroit? I think their entire, yeah, you're right with Ivy and, and Cunningham. Obviously, I think, I think they're going to start Stewart. I, I just, just the, the way I've, I've read from the beat reporters and, and, and people close to Detroit on Twitter, um, I think they view him as a, as a stretch four. Uh, whether it's true or whether it's, I mean, it's something that's feasible or not, we'll find out. But I think he gets the first crack at the four. And then, therefore, it leaves Boyan at, at the three, right? Um, now, do I think there's a large possibility of Asar starting? I think there was an article by James L. Edwards, in uh, who's the, the person who covers Detroit, in, uh, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, in The Athletic. Yeah. And he said he wouldn't be surprised if Asar Thompson starts. Um, and then it would, that would mean that Stewart comes to the bench then. Because I, I don't think they're benching Boyan. So then that would mean Boyan moves to the four and Osar starts at the three. Either way, in terms of from a fantasy perspective, even if he doesn't start, I think Osar gets 27 minutes, 26 minutes minimum. Uh, and maybe with, with upside for more as the season goes on, obviously. Um, and obviously, the preseason starting in a few days, we'll find out next week, I think. We'll, we'll find out how they're viewing it as well. And that'll, that'll impact our, how we view him in drafts. But I would look at Osar definitely in, in late rounds, like regardless of whether he's starting or not. Um, I did a piece on him on, on my on my website and for FBI as well, um, covering him during the draft. And I had him really high. I think he's just a really intelligent player. I think he's going to make winning winning decisions. He contributes to winning. Um, I think he's, he's got a multi-cat skill set. Like, obviously, percentages is something to keep in mind. But he's got a multi-cat uh, skill set. I would definitely look at him uh, in, in, the, in the later rounds, regardless of if he starts him on. Yeah, you bring up a good point. They're probably going to start Isaiah Stewart. That's going to make me mad because in my mind, it's like you should start Asar Thompson. He's going to be, whether he comes off the bench or starts, going to be really good. But in my mind, you just bet the fifth pick on him. And it also just fits more of modern basketball to start him at the three, Bojan Bogdanovic at the four, and Jalen Duran at the five. They keep trying to force this two-big lineup. I mean, there was times towards the end of last season, I think they were just trying to figure things out, see what works, see what didn't. But it was like a Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman starting lineup. Like, oh, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking that they did that because it was kind of a nightmare. But um, maybe they didn't actually do that. I don't have that pulled up to see if that actually happened. But uh, I don't think either of those guys have a chance of starting or should have a chance of starting. I think that fine, take them off the bench, whatever. Jalen Duran to me, should be locked in as a starting center. I view Bojan Bogdanovich more as a four. That's just the way I view him. I think defensively it makes more sense because I don't think that there's many guys that are playing the three that he's, you know, able to keep up with, but I think the four makes a little bit more sense for him defensively. And then just also having a Sar Thompson out there because of how bad Detroit's been defensively. I think having him there is, it's going to allow him to do a lot as a rookie. I think there's a chance 
that he ends up as one of the best rookies in fantasy um, simply because if we're looking at nine cap value, I guess, because I think he's going to end up being more efficient than guys like Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson that are playing massive roles. Um, But he's also going to uh, be able to get a lot of defensive stats. Um, And I guess that kind of also ties in for your, where should you draft a Sar Thompson? Now that we've just been kind of talking about him, but there, just to wrap that up, Jalen Duran is going to start at center, in my opinion, unless something just yeah. drastic happens. Um, hopefully, that'd be, they're that'd smart be shocking enough. if they don't. Yes. That, that would be, yeah, agreed. Um, hopefully, they're smart enough to start Bogdanovich and Asar Thompson. If they do start Isaiah Stewart, I would be shocked. I'm just hopeful that they don't. Uh, but whether he starts or not, where do you think you're going to kind of look at drafting a star Thompson? Because you could talk about him being as like a late round flyer, like, but like he's going to go before the final round. Um, his FBI ADP is 134, which puts him early 12th round of drafts. Do you think that's fine for him or would you take him earlier or later? I'd even go earlier, man. I'd, I'm, I'm happy going one round earlier. Depending on what I've done in the rest of the draft, as I was mentioning earlier in the on this, right? Um, that if you've had safety guys that you've taken in your first six, seven picks, you have the ability to make these picks. So easily, I would go maybe 110 onwards. I would start considering him. Because, and especially if you know your league, right? That's another thing to keep in mind. If you're If you know the people you're playing with and their styles, it could dictate a lot, right? Do you have people in your league who are more towards the let's take safety, let's take the Mike Conleys and the Harrison Bounds of the world in the last rounds, then you can potentially wait. But if you have guys who are going to be chasing upside, then you got to get your guys. Otherwise, they're going to be gone by the time you want them. Yeah, I agree. I would definitely take them earlier, especially looking at um, some of the guys that are kind of going even just around earlier. You look at Russell Westbrook's going 125, Mike Conley's going 126. Like I would probably take a shot, depending on you know what kind of team I've built, I'd probably take a shot on Asar before those guys. Um, I mean, let's see. Yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. is at 129, so I'm sure that'll change. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it already has been changing. All right. Um, yeah, I think I think 110 is a good number. I think, and maybe a little later than that. Zach Collins is 113 on this uh, ADP chart for FBI leagues. Definitely earlier than 134. I'd say around earlier. 120-ish is probably where I'm going to kind of lock in and say, because obviously this is going to change a little bit, I think, but Shaden Sharp at 118, Jaden Ivey 119. I don't think I'd take um, Asar over either of them, but I think 120 is very fair. But that leads into our next one, which is how good will Jaden Ivey be in year two? And I just said his ADP is 119. How do you feel about that? Like, do you think that's going to end up being just a massive bargain for a guy taking a second-year leap? Yeah, um, I would be happy to take him at that 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 stage, right? At that that stage in the draft, right? I think he obviously a lot of his success came without Kate. Actually, most of his success last year came without Kate because Kate just played like a handful of twelve games, I reckon. Um, so, what would be interesting to see for for Jaden Ivey would be, I think, last year his his finishing was was really improved as the year went on. His three point uh, shot making as well as his passing chops really came up a lot in the second half of the season after the All Star break. And the the key the key two points to 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 look at for him would be 
percentages, right? And that's any rookie guard who's coming into year two, year three. How much can they improve their percentages? Can he? Can they go to from a? I think he was a forty. 41 last year can he mm-hmm. go from a 41 to a 43 is that is that something that that bumps him up second thing to point uh, for him would be his his playmaking now Cade's back Cade's going to be the primary ball handler we all know that Osar can handle the ball a bit but I feel like Jaden's going to be the secondary uh, playmaker in this team can he keep up those you know can he give you those five assists like when we talk about Middleton earlier no means comparing them as similar players but can they give you can he give you five assists like like that as a secondary playmaker as well that would give me that that would give him the value and at 120 there is there's no risk I, i'd be happy to to take a crack at him though yeah i agree i think uh 120 is going to end up feeling like a bargain i think it's hard for me to get behind jaden iv this year because i'm i'm just very curious how this team is going to look cuz i think there's a lot a lot of hype about Cade Cunningham coming into the season mostly because nobody's really seen him play in a while and he apparently did really well at these USA scrimmages. And I just, that's not enough for me to buy in. I know a lot of people have him ranked high and I love, love, love Cade Cunningham. Um, I have him, I believe, ninth in my dynasty rankings. Like it's going to come where he's one of the best players in the NBA, in my opinion. I just don't know if that come, like happens immediately. So I just don't know how this Detroit team is going to look this year. Is Cade Cunningham going to come in, have the ball in his hands immediately, and just everybody that saw this Team USA practice is going to be right? And it's like, yeah, no, this guy's actually better than everybody else. Or is it, you know, is he going to have some issues to kind of work through where his field goal percentage is kind of low? He's turning the ball over kind of like last year. And how does that impact Jaden Ivey? If Cade Cunningham has the ball in his hands the entire time, is Jaden Ivey just able to be more efficient? The average. 3.2 3.2 turnovers last year. Like you said, shot 41.6%. If Kate Cunningham is controlling the offense, I have no doubts that Jaden Ivey's turnovers will go down. His field goal percentage will go up. His scoring will probably go up from 16.3 per game. Um, the assists were 5.2. Maybe it takes a slight, slight hit, but I don't think it drops dramatically even with Kate Cunningham there because I don't – I pretty much have Jaden Ivey as the backup point guard. Um, and that case, whenever Cade's off the floor, I'm sure they're going to try and have Jaden Ivey playing point guard minutes. So I think 120 is, you know, going to end up feeling like a bargain. But I, I just, I'm also a bit hesitant to take him significantly earlier than that, just because I, I'm very curious how Detroit's going to look this year because they have all of these pieces that they're trying to make work. And it just, it's it's not clear cut to me that all this is gonna fit in well and a lot of these guys are gonna be really good. Like Kid Cunningham is gonna just automatically be uh a third round guy or whatever his ADP is actually, because we haven't really talked about Cade while we're talking about Detroit. His ADP in, in these FBI leagues is twenty-four. So like a second round pick on Cade Cunningham, who barely played last year, that's to me that's a, a big investment on a guy that you know, was good as a rookie, wasn't very good at the beginning of last year and then missed most of the season. So hopefully I'm wrong on that. But I think how Cade Cunningham is is going to end up dictating how good Jaden Ivey can be. To take all that and wrap it into one small point, which makes me kind of not even really directly answer this question of how good Jaden Ivey will be, just because I think that there's multiple factors that kind of impact it. 
Correct, correct. And Cade's going to be a, a polarizing player to draft this year. We're going to have some people who are going to be really high on him, some people who are not. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, how it comes, how the ADP comes in after the preseason for him. Yeah. All right, and we will move on from this point to the Indiana Pacers, who finished as I'm pulling this up because I went away from the standings. They finished 11th in the East, um, six games out of making the play-in, 35 and 47. But in my opinion, it was it was a very good year for them because they have a star, they have a franchise player, and they probably would have made the play-in tournament had he been able to play more, uh, but he missed some games. And that's Tyrese Halliburton, just in case that wasn't clear on who their face of the franchise was. Um, and they have what I think is going to end up being a very good roster within the next few seasons. Uh, definitely going to return. to the, I'd imagine returning to playing postseason basketball this year, whether that ends up making out of the play-in tournament or not, I don't know. Uh, but within the next few years, I think they're, they're going to be very, very good if they keep up with what they have. But um, we're still trying to figure out the starting unit because I imagine Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner are the two locks. But the big question is after last year, trying to make do with um, Aaron Neesmith and uh, whoever else they could randomly throw in trying to make either a small forward into a power forward or a center into power forward. Uh, Jalen Smith, they tried that experiment as well. Somebody's going to have to start at power forward. Um, and they actually have two power forward options because they traded, I think, two seconds for Obi Toppin. And they drafted Jairus Walker with the number eight pick after trading with Washington. Um, who do you think is going to start? Is it Jairus Walker or is it Obi Toppin? I think if we, obviously Halliburton and Turner are going to start, I think $45 million man, Bruce Brown, I think he's potentially going to start mm -hmm. or, or lock to start as well. We'll talk about yeah. him a little later. Um, and I think like Matherin, like there's been a lot of chatter and in the offseason that he's, he's going to start. So let's assume that he's starting as well, obviously with Buddy Heal and the situation that he has. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I like Jarris Walker coming out, you know, coming into the draft. I think... Obviously, obviously, the lazy comparison—not the lazy, like the the general. A lot of the comparison is: can he be like a Draymond type player? No, 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 nobody can easily be a Draymond type player. <laughs> yeah. But what I do like about him is he can defend really well. He can pass. He has some passing chops out of that position, right? He, I, I, I think, in his this is a dynasty thing, but maybe like in his prime, if he's playing center, you know, after Milestone has gone or whatever the case may be. He could average five or six assists out of the center PF spot. I could easily see that happening right down the line. But I think in terms of um, in terms of when you look at Obi Toppin, right? Obi Toppin's profile in in New York, he didn't play many minutes. He was behind Julius Randle and, and and you know Tibbs plays guys like forty four minutes, so he barely played. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think, like, but he he is a good three point shooter. For whatever his faults are for Obi Toppin in terms of defense and and that, he is a good three point shooter. Another thing I noticed about him last year was his his cutting improved as well to the basket with Jalen Brunson there. And Jalen Brunson is not the passer that Tyrese Halliburton is. So therefore, I think he's going to have more opportunities and he fits better with Miles Turner at the back, you know, as, as a defensive anchor than Jarris does. So if I have to pick right now, I think Obi Toppin would start. But it would not surprise me if it's a 25-23 minute split. And then we see what happens in, in January onwards after the All-Star break and Feb onwards, then maybe Jarris overtakes Obi. Um, 
that's how I would look at it from a fantasy standpoint. I would not be looking at Jaris in standard leagues just yet, just because I don't think in 22 minutes, if if you assume that's what he's playing, he can make an impact. But I'd be keen to see what happens in the preseason. But Obi, for sure, I would be looking at as a later round, maybe last round pick. Definitely have a flyer at him because he could he could give you like five or six rebounds, 14 points, two threes. You know, that, that's 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 sort of valuable at that stage. Yeah, and his uh, Obi Toppin's FBI ADP is 157, and Jairus Walker's is 184. So, and actually, out of 75 drafts, Obi Toppin was drafted in 68 of them, and Jairus Walker was drafted in 33 of them. So it sounds like, based off that, Jairus Walker is going undrafted in over half of leagues. So, like you said, probably not worth in standard leagues, just because we don't know yet. I'd imagine Obi Toppin gets the first crack at the starting unit because this isn't a rebuilding team anymore. It's a team that's going to look to make the playoffs this year. And even though they only invested two second round picks in Obi Toppin and they invested a top 10 pick in Jairus Walker, I think right now their focus is going to be on trying to win basketball games. I think Obi Toppin gives them the best chance to do that to start the season. Now that could change really quickly, but I think, you know, they, they like the idea or maybe it's just Tyrese Halliburton likes the idea, but I like the idea too of having, Halliburton throwing lobs to Obi Toppin. Like that sounds like a lot of fun, um, but it's also not really taking away from what Miles Turner does because not saying he's not going to run pick and rolls, but Miles Turner is a really good stretch five as well. So solid player, I, solid winning player. Yeah, is. yeah, they have a really good line. I'd I'd imagine Bruce Brown starts. That's definitely there. Um, potentially Benedict Matherin. Potentially injured numbered. Nem, Nemhard, I actually I need to figure out how to pronounce that last name. I keep using names and just never looking up how to pronounce them and just saying I'm going to. Um, anyways, Chancey starts uh, over Matherin, but I think Obi Toppin is probably going to start and has more fantasy upside just because, like you said, good three-point shooter, uh, good pick-and-roll threat, athletic guy. Um, I don't think he really did much, like provide him any defensive stats in New York. Um, he's not known yeah. for that that's not his calling yeah. card um uh, even though he may be athletic enough to block some shots it's just not happening um yeah so yeah i think that there's fantasy upside there more so they'll be topping as the starter and i imagine that he gets to start a unit i know i've just said the same thing like three times so we'll move to the next point how much better will benedict matherin be in year two um in year one he averaged 16.7 points, 4.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.3 steals, or excuse me, 1.3 Um, And I know Rhett Bauer has looked at – Sports Ethos, Rhett Bauer, has looked at the advanced stats. I don't remember if it was his college advanced stats or his rookie year advanced stats. I think it may have been his rookie year advanced stats versus Jalen Brown's, and they're eerily similar. Like a lot of like the assist percentage, the steal percentage, block percentage, like a lot of things like that. So, and if you look at and like watch him play, I don't think it's super different from Jalen Brown. I think a lot of they share a lot of the same qualities, including just shooting the ball a lot. So I think that that's you know not necessarily a bad thing. I think it kind of fits with what Indiana likes to do. But year two leaps are a real thing. How much better do you think Benedict Matherin will be in year two? Yeah, that's quite interesting, right? I think two things that stand out for uh, for me for Matherin, right? I think one of them is his self sort self shot creation. 
uh, he he has that ability as a rookie. He showed that right. He can find his own shot. And then the other one that's that 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 I looked at um, for him, uh, which I wrote in my piece as well, is his his rim shot creation is really high for a rookie. What well, was really high for a rookie? Like he is going to the rim a lot. Therefore, he's getting a lot of foul calls as well, right? And that is that's obviously a good sign there. I think a couple of areas where we can potentially see improvement, as you said, with second-year guards in terms of FG, right? That's the can he can he get his percentage up a little bit, right? I think he was at forty-three last year. Does he get it to a forty-five? Does he get it to a forty-five and a half, right? Um, does he take better quality shots now? now? Does he like moving into the starting lineup a little bit more control control role with Halliburton there as well? Does he take better shots? Um, and the other thing I think is uh, his three-point shooting. I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to become like some kind of uh, like sharpshooter, but he was better in college than he was last year. I think he shot like, if I'm not mistaken, 31. Uh, th- uh, in college, he shot I think 30. Yeah, th- pardon me. He shot 37 percent in year one and 42 percent in year two in in college. Right, so does does he get back to that kind of like thirty six, thirty seven range? Is is and and that would that would make an impact as well. I know he doesn't attempt a lot of threes, but that could make an impact there. And the other two elements, other other more elements in terms of stats set is can he up his rebound rate a little bit? Right, that would give him some value. Um, I think I, I would I would look at him in the last rounds because you know you don't get that kind of scoring late in rounds. Like that's he could easily average. Um, like 18 points, 19 points, something like that. And I, I would look at him just like I would look at an Ivy past 120, 115, easy. I would look at him. Yeah. And his ADP is 138 on uh, an FBI league. So I think, like you said, late round flyer, I'd probably take him maybe last, maybe second to last round. I would take him, but I don't, I'm not super confident in, him taking a big step this year. I think it may end up being a couple of years, like when I say a couple of years, like year three, year four, where he kind of takes his leap forward. I'm not set on it happening this year because I think Indiana, like I said, is going to try and make the playoffs. Win. They're not focused on, yeah, they're not focused on developing now. They're focused on winning. I'm not saying that wasn't the case last year, but I think more so it's kind of going into the season with, oh, we have the guys, we have the team, we can do this, we can make the playoffs. Um, so is Matherin going to be a guaranteed starter? In my opinion, no. We'll probably know more after media day, seeing more reports, seeing how training camp goes. Um, and I think, you know, probably by the end of the season, I'd imagine he's the starter, but I'm not sure if that's like a smooth transition from year one. Okay. Year two, he's taking a leap. He's going to be better. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's, I don't have a ton of numbers to back that up. I just, I'm not confident that he's going to take a leap really other than I'm just not confident he's going to take a leap. I think they might yeah. just end up being a, a great scoring option this year, like a guy that can score, gets a free throw line, but I don't know how much he's improving his field goal percentage. He, he might be a better shot maker, but he also might be taking tougher shots now. So his field goal percentage may not go up. Maybe he hits more threes. I think that's very reasonable. I don't know how many more rebounds he's getting. Is he getting more assists, more defense? I just, I don't see these these things happening in the, with where Indiana's at. I mean, Bruce Brown's going to end up probably guarding the better perimeter defenders, so that would give him more of an opportunity to get some of the defensive stats that maybe Benedict Matherin won't be able to get. Tyrese Halliburton's going to get steals. It'd be pretty shocking to see all of these guys getting a ton of steals. 
maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll end up being really good for Indiana. I'm just, I'm not quite as confident that Benedict Mathurin is going to be significantly better in year two, uh, statistically from a fantasy standpoint than he was in year one. Yep. I think the defensive stats is, I mean, zero hope for that. And I would just, just like on a side note, I would take Ivy over him. Like if you're comparing second year players yep. in, a, in a draft, like Ivy's playmaking upside is more than enough for me to take him easily over him. Matherin, it's just if you need that boost in points in the end with a little bit of potential, you know, second year upside, if you will. I think that's the only time you look at him past 120 because you're not going to find that scoring otherwise really easy. Like Jordan Clarkson, for example, last year was a guy you could find late who gave that kind of scoring boost. And, and, and that's that's how I view kind of Matherin as well. Scoring boost, free throw boost. Yeah. And how much is Bruce Brown going to contribute? He was massive for Denver last year, oh. especially in the playoffs, helping them. He was a key part in helping them win a championship. Um, and now he signed, I think it was the two-year, $45 million deal uh, to join the Pacers. Um, I don't think he's expecting to repeat as a champion, but you never know. Uh, but he was incredibly effective and is going to be I think he's going to help them kind of take that next step in getting into the playoffs. I think he's just a winning basketball player. Um, he averaged 11.5 points, 4.1 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.6 blocks, and 1.1 threes. Uh, shot 48.3% from the field. Um, I think a really good rebounder for a 6'4 guy. I mean, there's a reason that he's able to play the three at 6'4 is that he's able to do a lot of the little things. Uh, his ADP is 110 on FBI, what do you, how do you kind of see him fitting in for this Pacers team? I think absolutely what you said. I couldn't agree more, right? He is a connector. He is a, he is a winning player, as you said, right? I think he contributes across the board. He is, he is a really solid wing defender. And I think last year, he even played up at the four. He played the one, two, three, four for them, right? So for, for, for the Nuggets. And I'm, I'm happy with him pick after where he's going in terms of um, the fan tracks, ADP pass 110. I think there's value there because his percentages are, his, his FG is strong. He doesn't hurt you anywhere. He's solid across the board. I wouldn't expect like much upside for him, like in terms of like a top, I don't know, like a top 60 or 50 season. I would not expect that at all. But I, I would be happy with him in the in the hundreds because I can see like he could return top 80, top 90 value in, in 8-cat. Um and nine cat definitely, but an eight cat as well. Um, and and he's 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 solid, man. He's gonna get minutes. And as you said, they're they're looking to win games. They're probably looking to make the play in, or if not outright the playoffs. And he would contribute to that. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, like I said, he, or like we've said, he's gonna start. He's gonna be able to provide defensive stats, contribute to winning. I think one ten is fair. I think that. Uh, I don't know how much earlier than that I'd even take him. I know you said hundreds. I'd probably be a little bit more hesitant on it, but I think he's going to, I think he's a guy that also is going to help them be good at basketball more so than he's going to contribute in nine cat leagues or just contribute in fantasy, but not because he's going to be bad in fantasy. I just think that he's going to make so much more of an impact for them than he will um, for fantasy managers. Uh, but we'll we'll wrap up the Pacers and move on to Chicago. And I think we'll just go ahead and cr- try and crank out this uh, whole division. B-Dub is going to be jealous yeah. because we did two and a half hours across two episodes for the Pacific. But we're going to actually do this whole thing in probably a little bit over an hour. Hopefully not too much more than an hour. But uh, the Bulls made the play-in, um, beat the Raptors in the first one, lost to the Heat in the second one. 
who knows if DeMar DeRozan's daughter was able to go to the second play in game, maybe they would have been the <laughs> ones making the NBA finals, but um, they pretty much have the same team again. Um, they decided like they did the trade deadline that we're just going to try and run this thing back, um, which nobody understands why. Um, so I think that right now they probably have four starting spots guaranteed. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and Patrick Williams at the four, in my mind. Maybe this ends up being wrong, but uh, Patrick Williams' ADP on or in FBI leagues has been 141. Uh, would you take Patrick Williams earlier than the 12th round? So, firstly, on, on the macro of Chicago, right, you're absolutely right. Like, they... It's just such a boring team to to. I mean, no offense to any Chicago Bulls fans listening, but it's just such a boring team to talk about from a fantasy standpoint. Like, I, I think in our in our notes before this, uh, before we did the pod as well, we were talking about it. Like, where is the upside in Vooch and where is the upside in Levine and where is the upside in DeRozan? Like, where is it? Like, where can they take the next step? Right? I'd be keen to find out from someone who who can tell me that. Right? But yeah, in terms of from a Patrick Williams standpoint, yeah, I think he. He profiles really well as 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 a three and D wing guy who has a little bit of upside there, and he is a good defender. Don't don't get me don't 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 get that sort of twisted. And in terms of his defensive stats as well, like I think he gave like one block and one steal, which is solid, right? Coming in um, coming in in his in his third year, I think, or last year. So I would be I wouldn't I wouldn't be against the idea of taking him past pick one twenty just to see if he has that upside in. Uh, in his three-point shooting, can he ramp it up a little bit? Can he take a few more attempts, right, from three? Can he can he keep his defensive stats as like that 1.1 maybe and 1.2? Can he can he get that up to that that level from 1.0 and 1.0? That that's a jump in rankings. We know how little uh, little these things can move rankings. Um, and and I would be happy with with him in that in that late round because there is a little bit of upside, but I would not be super excited about him having a top 60 or 70 finish. If you're getting him at 120. A 130, you anticipate, okay, he'll potentially finish top 100, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, I've never been a big Patrick Williams fan, um, but I have to be a little bit more on board with drafting him because he was very, like, much better last year. Played in 82 games after playing in 17 the year before. I I think that probably goes under the radar a little bit. 0.9 steals, 0.9 blocks per game, like you said. Um, It's just funny that to me because looking he was drafted number four overall in 2020 deandre hunter was drafted number four overall in 2019 Kawhi leonard's run uh just had teams in a chokehold where they were just trying to figure out who can how do we get Kawhi leonard on our team without actually having to have Kawhi leonard because deandre hunter people were saying was going to be the next Kawhi leonard then patrick williams is going to be the next Kawhi leonard he's not the next Kawhi leonard like nobody like we got to stop trying to find these player comps for generational team. Like, like you mentioned, Jarris Walker, people talking about him being Draymond. And we're like, no, he's not gonna, like you said, he's not gonna be Draymond Green. He's not gonna be the greatest role player of all time. Kawhi Leonard is one of the greatest two way players of all time. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. you're not just gonna find this every day. Like, you might, but it's probably not gonna be the same. All that to be said, uh, I think Patrick Williams is a guy that I would, maybe take in the last round or two, which is, I know that's exactly where he's going. Um, But I think in my mind, I'm just lower on Patrick Williams because I don't know how much more of an offensive opportunity he's going to get unless Chicago makes roster changes. And they don't seem interested in that 
despite Lonzo Ball's career literally being in question. I think if Lonzo's there, this this team is much better. They were much better when Lonzo was able to play than this playing team that they've been the past two years. When Lonzo's been able to play, like they were a top – I don't remember exactly what the record was because it was so long ago, but like top five team in the East. Um, and I, I think that's kind of maybe seems silly to say when you think about Chicago adding Lonzo Ball being a top five team in the East based on what we know, but that's what they were producing at the time. Um all that to be said, I don't know how much more of an offensive opportunity Patrick Williams is going to get with DeMar DeRozan still shooting a ton, Zach Levine still shooting a ton, and Nikola Vucevic still a really good player, and especially offensively. That's where he's contributing is offensively and on the class. So I think the path to Patrick Williams having more fantasy relevance is going to be with those defensive stats. Yeah, if Can he get – you know, to 1.2 steals and 1.2 blocks. Like how much higher can he get 1.5 steals and 1.2 blocks? Like he hasn't shown that yet, but, and that's, yeah, like that's a massive leap. Like you're no doubt about it. Um, But I think that's kind of where real fantasy value is going to come from him. In my mind, it's probably just going to be more of the same this year, which is like, if I'm looking for a, a final pick of like the last two rounds, I probably am looking with somebody or for somebody with more upside and until Chicago shows a willingness to kind of rebuild or retool their roster instead of just, you know, trying to make things work again. uh, I'm probably going to be pretty out on Patrick Williams. I might take him in the last round, but I think that there's other guys that would go in the last round that I'd be more excited in. Um, But before we move, this is a question that's a quick ranking, right? Matherin, Ivy, Williams, one, two, three. Ivy Matherin Williams for me. You take Matherin over Williams, even with his sort of emptier stat skill set? I think I personally would because I think Matherin has a path to higher upside. And either, either way, those two guys are probably going the last two rounds. I'd yeah. rather take Matherin, who I think has the upside, whereas Williams, I think he's to the point where he's we kind of know what he is. Like this is uh year that I think this is year five for him. Am I, mm. or year four? Year four. Year four, yeah. Year four. He has okay. to take a leap now, man. Like if it's not now, like I don't know. Like yeah. I have him in Dynasty and I think in our league together. And if he doesn't take the to the leap in the next few this year and the next year, I I don't know, man. man. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just think that I've never been super high on Patrick Williams. So I'm trying to not hold that bias against him and trying to be open to maybe he has gotten better. I think he has, but I think I just see more upside for Matherin over Patrick Williams upside. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh but he's their fourth starter. Who's their fifth starter gonna be? They have goodness, multiple options they can look at because the Sumnu have- Caruso. Um, obviously, Javon Carter, and then they have Kobe White, right? Um, I personally am not interested in any of them in the last round. Like, I know a lot of people are keen on Javon Carter, and that's fine, right? He can give steals and assists. Um, and Caruso, obviously, if he gets 25 to 30 minutes, he is he is going to be relevant for fantasy, but I just don't have confidence in picking which one of these four is going to start. Can you make arguments that Caruso can play the two, three, four? Yes, you can. Can you make the argument that Kobe White can be actually a two? Again, yes, you can. Javon and Desumnu probably the only ones who are predominantly a one. So we could see that like jumbling up a little bit. But to me, there's too many guys there to make an uh, to make an informed decision in the last round. 
Um, I would probably avoid them un unless one of them stands out in the, in the preseason. I think I'm right there with you. I want to believe the Javon Carter hype, but I think that there's a real chance that Alex Caruso is too good to come off the bench, in my opinion. Like they, they could just say we need a traditional point guard, but I wouldn't have an issue if I'm you know, running the team to have Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan have the ball in their hands the whole time. And I think that's what they did a good bit last year. So why would they go away from that just because Javon Carter's here? Like I think Javon Carter is a very good defender, uh, has some playmaking upside, can get hot from three, as we saw multiple times last year. I'm just hesitant. I don't – like you said, I think Caruso probably has the most fantasy upside among those guys we talked about, but it's just going to be steals. It's going to be – I mean, I'm – I could pull up his numbers, but like I'm pretty sure the only thing he's really contributing in consistently is you know 1.5 steals, 0.7 blocks, which I guess isn't bad from a uh, from a guard, but 2.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and 5.6 points. So he's not contributing points at all. So I think if if you're looking for steals, but like probably more of a deeper league, I don't know. I don't know. What do you kind of think on that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I look at him like, I, I really, first of all, I like Caruso in reality. And I, I mean, as a player, I think he, he's one of the best defenders in this league. Um, but yeah, I would just look at him as a, as a steals guy, unless he really puts in like 30-minute games and then he's clearly standing out to play those minutes there. Then then yes, but I don't know if his, you know, if if they're able to do that, just given the, the four people they have, which we just spoke about. Yeah, and I'm looking at the FBI ADPs right now and... Caruso's going 186 or 186. This is, it's it just depends because his ADP is 155, but like 186 based on kind of where he's going on average um, because there's only that many rounds. But um, Caruso 186, Javon Carter 191, Kobe White 208, and Sunmu is 246. So everybody seems to be pretty out on him. Um, and it seems like Caruso is kind of the safest guy. I think if they're, if we're looking at who has the most upside, I think it is Javon Carter if he's able to get a starting role. But I don't, I'm not buying that necessarily. So I think Caruso is probably the safest option. I think that's that's the answer I'm going to lock in here. Um, but then the other three guys, probably the only the guys that are really guaranteed fantasy relevant, um, are Demar Derozan, Zach Levine. And Nikola Vucevic, uh, Demar was being drafted 48, Zach Levine 46, Vooch 42. So, sorry, you're not going to actually be able to stack all three Chicago Bulls on your team, probably, um, because I know that's what everybody. It's literally the most popular stack in fantasy basketball. If you haven't heard of this by now, I don't know where you've been getting your fantasy content from. Everybody's trying to stack Chicago Bulls in fantasy hoops. Um, how do we feel about them? Are you taking these guys in the fourth round, which is kind of where they're going? Like, how do we feel about Vooch, who plays a lot of games, but I think his fantasy value kind of comes from the fact that he doesn't really kill you anywhere, and he's a pretty good rebounder. Uh, Zach Levine, who has chronic knee issues, but is one of the most lethal scorers in the league. And DeMar DeRozan, who's aging, but also still one of the most lethal scorers in the league, but doesn't really shoot many threes, doesn't I don't know. None of them really give you a ton of defensive stats. How, how do you feel about them? Yeah. 
Firstly, on the stack spot, right? I don't do NFL fantasy. I, I don't watch it. So I think that it's common there, if I'm not mistaken, doing stacks, right? In, mm-hmm. um, is, is that I was, I, just, just to be clear, I was totally joking. Nobody's looking to yeah. stack. The show. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it, not- it is. Yes, it is common in fantasy football. Um, okay. Because you started talking about it. I was like, wait, I hope everybody knew that I was being sarcastic. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. looking to stack Chicago. Bucks. Oh, man. I was like, okay, fair enough. Because I was like, I, I don't, if you end up with two or three, if you end up with two or three players on the same team, just because there's value in them, I'm happy with that, right? I wouldn't go to four, maybe, but I don't even know if there's four players and, in any team that you want to get. Maybe maybe Phoenix, but yeah, I mean, uh, okay. So, stacks aside, <laughs> I think in terms of the Chicago Bulls, right? I, I mean, Levine probably has a little bit more that he could, I don't know, does he ramp up a little bit more? I just don't, does he does he get a little bit more usage and ball handling, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, like DeRozan and him taking complete ball handling responsibilities with Levine a little bit more. Is that possible? Vooch... He is safe, man. He is a safe, safe fish pick, whatever safe can be, right? But I think like where he's going um, on fan tracks in the 40s, right? I, I'm not, I'm not taking him in the 40s. There's other guys in the 40s I would look at. If he gets to me in the 60s, why not? You know, let's have a crack and see, see, see what happens. He's going to return that value. DeRozan as well. I think where he's going, which is. 48, I mean, I'd rather around later. I know he gives you a big boost in free throw and he doesn't and he doesn't hurt you in turnovers. His assists are decent. doesn't give you any threes, but that's fine. You can find threes later. Again, I would take him around later. So in terms of my rankings or my sort of, uh, my projections for them is the right word. I would, I would look at Levine definitely. And then I would look at Vooch in the 60s. And I would look at DeRozan if I can get him in the 50s. And if if possible, really. I've seen him go to in, in f- late 50s in, in drafts as well. Because people are getting off that, you know, like that DeRozan sort of hype from, from a few years ago when he when he was literally like a second-round player for a stretch. Um, so that's how I would look at it. Um, it just, it, coming back to what you said earlier on drafting style, right? Like getting younger players and getting a little bit of fun upside in as well. It depends on how you're playing fantasy. If you're a person who likes to watch certain players, and if you really like watching Levine play, then yeah, take him, right? Uh, but if you would rather someone else in that, say, like potentially a Jalen Brown who's going around that level, right? Maybe take him, right? So it, it just depends on everyone's styles as well. That's how I would look at these three guys. Yeah, I think that's that's about what it is. Like, there's safe options. Um, I think Zach Levine's... I, Zach Levine and DeMar are very fun to watch play. Like, I'm, yes. I'm no doubt about that. I don't know if anybody's, you know, dying to turn on league pass and watch Vooch play, but very solid player. Um, <laughs> solid and I mentioned, player. Yeah. I mentioned Levine's chronic knee issues. He actually played 77 games last year. So I think I need to give him a little bit more credit. I think going into the season, there was reports that he might not play any back-to-backs, but he played 77 games last year. So maybe it's a little bit less of an issue now. Hopefully it stays that way. Hopefully he's able to keep his knees healthy, but yeah, I think where they're going, like their ADPs are all in the, second half of the fourth round. I just don't know if I'm taking any of them quite at their ADP. I'm just, I, yeah, same. based on my drafting style, it's just not where I tend to go. I think if I were to take one of the three, actually, I'll ask you, who do you think if you had to just choose one of the three, who are you taking on your fantasy team? Levine. Okay. I was, com- I was, pretty, that's what I was going to say. So pretty comfortably. Yeah. I think, I guess it maybe would depend on position, like if I needed a center. But honestly, I'm pretty set on getting my centers past pick 75 this year. 
Um, though I think I'm now in on DeAndre Aiden after being out on him the last few years. I think I'm I think I'm in on DeAndre Aiden. Um, but we'll move Side on. note: I, I took him yeah. yeah before we go. I took him at fifty-two in the in the in the mock I did a couple of days Ooh. back. Um, I, and I know Zion was there as well, and I'm big on Zion. Like I think I'm in the community. I'm probably the we can talk about it when we do that division. Like I'm probably the highest in Zion, but I took him over Zion. I think he can return top 35, 40 value. But you're right. I would any day pick Aiton over Vooch. Interesting. And I didn't. I'm not high on Zion, so that's interesting you said that. But we can save that for that, like you said. An excellent. Uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap up with Cleveland. Um, yeah, we're making good time here. Pretty good time. Cleveland, I had really high expectations for last year, and they pretty much did the thing during the regular season, finished 51-31, and 4C uh, in the East, and then kind of collapsed in the playoffs to the Knicks, which I did not see coming at all. Um, maybe I'm kind of – I'm pretty set on in my ways when it comes to certain things. And after seeing the Knicks have a really, really good regular season and then just fall flat against the Hawks in the playoffs – um, but this is a very different Knicks team and I need to fix my mindset on that. And I think I have after this series, um, Knicks are good. I'm just going to go ahead and, and then enough about the Knicks, but, uh, Cleveland has their core four, um, with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. And then this whole, oh shoot, I put fifth or I put fourth starter. Dang it. Uh, so if you're watching this, that actually is supposed to say fifth, quite obviously not fourth, but. Uh, who is going to be the fourth? No, I just freaking read it. I'm going to say <laughs> who will be the fifth starter for Cleveland alongside their core four. And they added, well, I'll, I'll just ask without giving you any multiple choice options. I'll just kind of like let you say who's going to be the fifth starter for Cleveland. Man, I mean, it has to be Max Cruz. I mean, that that's the, the money they've paid him, the role they brought him in as a stretch, theoretically to stretch the floor. It has to be him. Um, Am I interested in him in fantasy? I don't, I don't, again, he's in the same Malik. I know we talked about Malik Beasley earlier. That's how I view him, right? If you want a few, like a guy coming in and pop and, and giving you some threes towards the end of the draft, sure, have a crack at him. I, I, there's, there's not much upside there, in my opinion. I think I'd rather like leave him on the wire and then in a week when, in which I'm behind on threes, I would, I would bring him in then and just. You know, just circle it through the wire because that's how you potentially win leagues. It's not just the people you draft. It's how you win the, win the wire as well. Um, that's how I would look at him um, in terms of upside. It, you, I guess some people can make the argument that it's it's, it's a weakish one in my opinion, but Okoro or, or, or Niang, but to stress like Okoro for defense, Niang has a bigger body potentially, but I think it's, I think it's true. But it does make them a really small team. Like three of those guys are like six four and below. I think Struess is what he's, he's six four, is it? Yeah, he would be around there, right? So it, it does make them a small lineup, but then they do have the the, the twin towers at the back. So yeah, that that's another point to note potentially. Yeah, I think Max Struess. I've, I've been very excited about how it fits for Cleveland since the trade happened. So I think he's going to be their fifth starter um, for fantasy. Like you said, just really threes. I would consider taking him as a last round pick. Um, not because I'm super, super high on his upside, but I think he just fits with what they kind of need so well. I think he's a, he's a good defender in my opinion. I don't know. I haven't looked at advanced stats to see if that kind of backs it up, but based on what I've seen, I think he's a very solid defender and maybe, you know, when, when you're playing in Miami, you just look like a really good defender and then you leave Miami and it changes, but we'll see. Um, but I think he, I'm more excited about that from a basketball standpoint because of his defense that I think is solid and, just being a really good 
catch and shoot three point shooter that's going to command space. I think he's it, he fits almost perfectly with kind of what they needed last year. Um, they had a fifth scoring off like a fifth starter in, that could score and shoot in like Karis Levert. They had one that could defend in Isaac Okoro. They didn't have one that could really do both, and I think they finally have that in Max Drew. So I'm excited about that, and I may end up taking him in the last round of a draft as a flyer. But as far as overall fantasy upside, it's probably not necessarily there because he's probably going to even see probably less shot attempts with Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland there. But I'm very excited about how that fits. But um, more importantly for fantasy is how good can Evan Mobley be this year after – I'm trying to remember. I think he finished 78th during his rookie season in nine cap value. And he may, if I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Yeah. He finished better. He finished 53rd last year. Uh, Really good rebounder and really good shot blocker. High field goal percentage still playing alongside Jared Allen, which I think, you know, we can probably talk about a little bit alongside that with this. How good can Evan Mobley be this year? Knowing he's, still kind of the power forward, not necessarily, I mean, he's not the center. He's sharing the floor with another seven footer all the time. Yeah. And th- that that's the pressure point there, right? Like what happens with Jared Allen, right? Cause we saw, as you mentioned earlier in, th- in this, that the Knicks, obviously it was, it was a disappointment for the Cavs losing to the Knicks, right? And the way they lost and, and Allen's play there and his, his sort of comments after that as well. Is he, is he a trade candidate? Potentially, yes, right? Because obviously Mobley is the center of the, the center of their future. Like that's that's clear to anyone who's watching basketball, right? So if he does get like more minutes at the five, I could see his blocks come up. I could see his rebounds come up. I could see his uh, yeah, his because he's a versatile big. He he is he is a I think he's in a one he's a generational defender. Like he, he has a potential to be a generational defender, I'm gonna say that in, in his prime. Right, he has that Kevin Garnett or or Anthony Davis. By no means, again, he's not going to be them, but he has that kind of defensive chops like that he can potentially put out in his prime. And I feel he had blocks, rebounds. Another thing, I know this is low volume, but his three point percentage last year was like I think it was it was twenty odd percent, twenty one percent, right? Um, he he shot I think thirty percent in college. Can he can he potentially stretch the floor a little bit more? Can he get maybe half an attempt more? See what happens, right? You have Struce there now as well, um, but that that one I'm not as confident in as I am potentially for his blocks and rebounds as a center. And the other thing just to note before uh, before I pass it back to you is is they did bring Niang in right, and Niang will play mm-hmm. the four, and in those lineups you're going to have Mobley potentially at the yep. five. Right. You could you could make the argument Allen can also play at the five there because Niang is a shooter, but you would have Mobley as the five lineups coming up more as well. So I do feel that there is potential, but I I don't think he's going to be a top. I would it be it's a little tricky for me to see him being a top twenty top twenty five guy. Uh, there is a pathway to maybe like top thirty top thirty five something like that if he gets his blocks and rebounds up. But his his uh, yeah his top twenty upside with some people have like I don't know if I'm there yet and I had him in like a bunch of leagues last year I got him in the fifties and sixties and I was okay with it. Yeah, I think the top twenties would is going to come when Jared Allen's gone. I don't exactly. think that they're going to be able to do this whole two seven footer thing in the modern NBA where Evan Mobley, you know, like you said, he shot 21.6% from three last year. Like he's, he, he's shot over one per game. So it's not like he's scared to shoot him. Jared Allen's not shooting any threes, but he's not 
a stretch four by any means, but I think he can get to a point where it's like, okay, like we can at least respect him to the point where we're not going to want him shooting wide open threes the way they may let a guy like Jared Allen do that. Um, but I think that the the true fantasy boom happens when Jared Allen's gone. I don't think that happens this year, unfortunately. His ADP on FB, in FBI leagues is 39, and I think that almost is to the point where it's any upside that he has with Jared Allen still there, Donovan Mitchell there, is kind of limited past 39. Like you said, like 30s is probably going to be very difficult to, for him to get to because he'd have to probably get – he averaged nine rebounds last year. Could he get that to 10? Like he averaged a block and a half. How much more can he get with another seven-footer down there rebounding and blocking shots? So I love Evan Mobley long-term. I think I'm a little higher on him in my dynasty ranks than some other dynasty guys are. Um, and there was – when I think I did my initial ones a few months ago, I had him – I think ranked at 11. It's I think I brought him down a little bit, but I I really love his upside. I just think it it's not happening yet. Um so this year I think I'm a little bit hesitant to take him um if, if I'm having to burn a what would that be an early for, fourth round pick on him a top 40 pick on him. I think long term really really good this year. I'm not as as all in as I probably was even last year. Uh where I was very high on him and now it's the ADP is kind of caught up and I'm not as, not as excited about taking him at 39. Um, but the last topic of this episode will be, does Karis Levert hold any value? Uh, he's probably going to end up as the sixth man um, with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell starting in the, um, in the backcourt with Max Struess at the three is my guess, our guess, your guess. Uh, Karis Levert is probably going to be the sixth man is that a good spot for him to have some value? Is that a spot for um, him to be worth maybe a late round pick? Yes. Um, I So there's, there's obviously the concept of, of handcuffing, right? Which doesn't work most of the times because in, in the NBA, right? In terms of fantasy. But there are certain players this year, which I feel in a mold of, they do fit that that broad definition of, of pick, picking them based on that, right? So for example, Levert, yeah, as you said, he's going to play like 29 minutes maybe off the bench easily, right? Because remember, Rubio's situation is a little uncertain at the moment as well. And they don't have, like, who is the other guy? Ty Jerome. They, they, they do have Imani Bates, Imani Bates, if I'm pronouncing his name right. He, he's obviously, but he's not a point guard. So, yeah, it, it, is, it is Levert coming off, off the bench, right? Um, and I think if you have a Garland or a Mitchell earlier on in your draft and you're coming to the last pick, you could you could take Levert because he's going to give you back-end value anyways, even with them there. He's going to give you top 140-ish value anyways. And if for any reason Donovan Mitchell or, or Darius Garland miss time, he slots straight in. And then he could give you top 80, top 90 value. We've seen that. Not, not to the extent of peak Brooklyn Karis Levert, but he'll give you top 90, right? And he has... He has shown an ability to ramp up his assists as well when he's given the op- when when he's given the opportunity. He's he's a decent passer, so I, I'm I'm all for him in the last round um, with some value like in 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 the in the in the current sense as well on, on his, in his current role. Um, and I'd be I'd be happy to take him. Another guy like in the same mold, which 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 is in the Pacific Division, is Christian Wood. Like he he he'll play 22 23 minutes, and he's going to give you standard league value in that. And if Davis goes down. He comes in a top 80 player. 
same same logic for Levert in my opinion. Yeah, I think I'm probably a little bit. I I agree with the concept of you know when Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland misses a game or two here or there, like definitely a guy that you want on your roster during that time. I think I'm just a little bit more hesitant on having him as a guy that's going to hold standard value. And maybe that's just the way I'm looking at him. Um, but I think he, to me, he's more like what you were saying about Max Struess, where he's a guy that's like, I think he he's going to play good minutes. Um, I think he'll be able to score. You know, he probably does a little bit more than Struess does, but I don't see him giving real standard league value, in my opinion, um, as just a sixth man. And I think he'll still be a good contributor for them. But I think this goes maybe back to more of like a drafting philosophy of I'm looking for somebody that has a lot of upside over the last two rounds. And I think Levert's upside is only there if somebody in front of him, suffers a really big injury. Yeah. Like I think it would have to be like a long-term injury, not like just like a, a couple games here and there. Yeah, we know, but I'm saying like if Mitchell or, or uh, Darius Garland were to end up missing like, a month or two, then yeah, I think Levert has a lot of value during that. Probably more so Mitchell than Garland because I don't think that they would roll with Garland and Mitchell as, or uh, Mitchell and Levert as their starting backcourt for a really long period of time. I think they'd probably go with a more traditional point guard. But all that to be said, I don't think that I would spend a late round pick on Karis Levert. I would look at him as more of a waiver wire guy. I think that's kind of what I meant when you said about Max Drews, the guy to like, let's sit on your waiver wire and then when you need him or see the opportunity for him, then pick him up um, more so than a guy that I'd burn a late round pick on. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with that as well. Cause it's the last down guy is a waiver wire guy. Cause if you don't, if you don't like him after the first two, three weeks, he's, he's gone, right. You get someone else in one thing. So the four guys we talked about, right. Levert, Malik Beasley, Max Cruz, and potentially Javon Carter, right. How would you look at all four of them? If you had to pick in the last round right now, Sorry, can you said you said Malik Beasley, Max Struess, Javon Carter, and who was the other one? Levert. Levert. Levert, I think I've got your answer. You're going to leave him for the wire, but the other three. I think Beasley. I think I'd go Beasley. Uh, I, assuming that something comes out saying he's going to be the starter, but I think he could end up playing more of an important role for them than maybe is was initially thought. And I think that having his shooting in the starting unit alongside a bunch of other guys that can shoot the ball, obviously, but except be honest, um, I think that he has a good bit of upside. I mean, he was awesome for the jazz last year and then just couldn't figure it out in LA. I think he, uh, I think he's who I'd go with. Yeah. Fair. Fair. I'm, all four of them are really close, close for me. I think yeah. I just have potentially I'd have, um, Strews a, a level lower just because just threes, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with any of those four on the wire. I'm okay with any of those four in the last round. Yeah. Um, well, that's going to do it for our central division breakdown. Current, how, I guess, before we go, what do you have kind of coming up? I guess it's preseason starts next week. And then we have regular season a few weeks after that. Uh, do you have any exciting content that we should be looking out for coming up or just where can uh, we get in contact with you to keep up with your work? 
So yeah, just follow me on the on on the Twitter handle listed there. And yeah, just 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 we're going to ramp up stuff obviously at FBI, right? And as as as, as you know as well in terms of the leagues and everything. For me personally, yeah, some of the content I'm going to be putting out is is in my articles as well. So I'm looking at some regression candidates uh, for this year in terms of both positive and negative in terms in in for shooting. And I'm going to put out an article on that in the coming days. And I'm I'm looking at getting articles out once a week. Uh, sometimes more than that, but definitely once a week. That's what I'm doing. And in terms of working with with the guys for for podcasts as well, we'll probably have a few more coming up um, in in the next few day in the next few weeks leading up to draft season. Potentially mocks as well. I don't know. We were talking about that. We could do some mocks as well. So it's it's really ramping up. This is obviously the busiest time for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, man. Thank you uh, for joining me. I guess this is your FBI debut pod, but. Uh, Man, this was this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, Corinne. Thanks for having me, No. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up episode 27. Um, you know, as a reminder, follow Corinne on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, if you're watching it, it's at NoRubin22. If you're listening to it, uh, subscribe to my Substack, NoRubin.substack.com. Like, rate, review this podcast. Check out FantasyBasketballInternational.com. Follow their Twitter as well all the content plugs I could possibly think of off the top of my head. I'm just going to throw them out there right now. Uh, NBA season's coming up. We're getting really excited about everything that we're putting out and we're excited to dive into some leagues. Um, I don't have any world cup announcement, which is probably, this is the first FBI podcast in a while without anything about that, but we're all excited for that. And I think uh, that's going to do it for this episode. So thanks for listening. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.